Good evening and welcome to This Week in Football from the makers of Low Limit Football. I'm your host, Joe Ucello, and joining me as always, my co-host, Mr. Roberto Rojas. And we bring you Group D tonight as France, Australia, Denmark, and Tunisia head to Qatar for the opening of the 2022 World Cup opening Group D. Um, Roberto, let's look at this group quickly before we jump into our interviews because this is an interesting one. We've got two teams that, are, for me, are at the top of this group in Denmark and France. Although France, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of sparked with a little injury uh, problem here leading into the World Cup. Uh, Denmark, however, is a team that has had great success against France. France coming in as the defending champions. And then I think there's a bottom half here with Australia and Tunisia. Uh, you know, this is not the strongest Australia team that we've seen in years. And as well, you know, Tunisia, they do have a nice little crop of strikers, but the rest of the team is a little bit of a question. But obviously their approach is going to be key, as we're going to find out in our interviews. Um, this, Like I said, this becomes an interesting group, and there are spots that these two bigger teams or the two higher-rated teams in France and Denmark could stumble uh, in this group stage. What are your thoughts on this group as they head in? Yeah, it's it's a really interesting group. And I think, obviously, you know, for France's case, they definitely want to make their 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 case to become uh, defending champions and then to repeat for the first time since Brazil in 1958 and 62. It's been a while since the team has done that. And you look at this French side, while you do look on it at quality, it is certainly a side that also has been going through a bit of, you know, issues and dramas behind the scene. You have some injuries happening, but also just the way that they've been playing. You don't know if this is a convincing France side. And as for Denmark, I mean, they've been playing so so well that they could indeed be a wild card not just in this group but i think in the whole tournament as a whole but then you look at tunisia and australia definitely not two pushovers and definitely have the world cup experience so yeah this is a really fascinating group and i think you know it, it could ease one way towards certain teams but i think the way that it's done and you know history has always been uh either good or bad at the world cup depending on the team that you are i think it could be the case that this group could be decided when it all said and done. If you look at it from not just on a historical factor, but just the way that they've been playing and how the teams have been faring from a form perspective. No doubt about it. And, uh, you know, they're going to have to get into form very, very quickly as they open on the 22nd of November with Denmark, Tunisia and France, Australia. So there is going to be a quick focus, especially for those larger teams, to really get on the front foot as they head to that second match day on the 26th where France and Denmark will face off in that. So let's jump right into it. We were lucky to be joined first and foremost by Nicholas Dang, a Danish football journalist, to preview Denmark as they head to the 2022 World Cup. So without further ado, the Nicholas Dang interview. And joining us now on This Week in Football to preview Denmark in Group D as they head to the 2022 Qatar World Cup. Nicholas Dang from Radio 4 joining us. Nicholas, welcome to the show. It is great to have you. I want to start out with a quick question about your ties to covering Danish football and, and Denmark in general. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm I'm from Denmark, so uh, I started in journalism at a pretty young age and uh, started covering football uh, pretty much from the get-go. So um, that's about it. Pretty normal, uh, pretty <laughs> pretty normal uh, start to 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 how I start covering football in Denmark, and I've done so for the last uh, yeah already 10, 10, 12 years, yeah. And it's been kind of a, a constant evolution for this Danish side as we uh, go into the history of this World Cup uh, in the World Cup for them, because obviously this has been a team that has been to multiple World Cups. They have done consistency, actually. They've only missed the round of 16 once in 2010, but since then 
made it three times, and went to the quarterfinals in 1998 with that golden generation that won Euro 92. Now we fast forward into 2022, and it's been an interesting ride, you would say, from the last four years, where they went to the round of 16 uh, in Russia, and then they headed up going to the Euros, and, and really what has been a, a sensational Euros, where they went all the way to the semifinals, but obviously was remembered, obviously, as this kind of rallying cry and that kind of support uh, given to Christian Eriksen after what happened to him over there when he had that collapse and just kind of that motivational factor that they needed. But other than that, it's it's a really talented side, Nicholas. So I really wanted to ask you, how have you seen this side evolve and, and really feel more motivated over the last four years where they went to the round of 16 of the World Cup, they went to the semifinals of the Euros, and now they are tackling uh, the World Cup here in Qatar. What, what's been the, the 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 mood you would say for you and for people in Denmark about this national team? It's it's been pretty much a steady climb because um, from when Casper Ullmann took over some years ago, uh, it it has gone sort of brick to brick, and 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 both the collective and the the playing style and also the the general quality of the of the game. Has has uh, just been 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 laying the the the, the bricks for for a pretty interesting foundation at this at this point, um, and and when I mentioned the coach catch Ullmann, really much should be said for him because, um, because he's been he's been sort of a big talent in coaching for 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 some years. He he went from the Danish Superliga to. Um, to to the Bundesliga and everyone knew that he has something he had something and it was pretty much given that he should be the next uh, national team coach at some point and it, just, and it just came at the at the perfect time and what he's achieved and built with this national team is uh, really impressive and I think a lot of Danish people and Danish football fans are looking to to not just this World Cup, but but this point in time uh, in general as the conclusion uh, as to what he has built. Uh, the the Euros uh, last summer were uh, um, the could could have been the conclusion so far, but but and, and it was a great party all over the country last summer, but. Everyone knew and everybody could see that there's something more to this team and 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 more to this this Yulman side and to his philosophy. So 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 it has it has really built on and a lot of uh, football fans in Denmark are are seeing this at, as as not not the final installment. Uh, it wasn't the final installment at the Euros last year, but but there's something more to come. And I think a lot of people are expecting. It to come uh, now at this World Cup, as this is, as this is a big tournament coming at the at the right time for this, uh, for both this team and especially the, the this generation of, of of young talent. Now, Nicholas, I'd like to jump in here because I'd like to take a look at the group here. Group D is is certainly by all measures a, a very interesting group. Um, there are going to be some challenges in Australia and Tunisia for this Danish side. But obviously the headliner, the, the big team, the defending World Cup champions, uh, France, headline Group D. But France is not a team that Denmark is really afraid of. You go, you look back to the Nations League uh, just recently, and Denmark has beaten France twice uh, in that Nations League. 
a Nations League title, which France were the defending champions there. So for you, how does this group play out, especially with a giant like France in there, um, a giant that really is also facing their giant killer in Denmark? Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's been a big surprise uh, as to how, I, w- I wouldn't say easy, but but how, how, how great the Danish team has handled the the world champions uh we, we've have had a lot of more uh, big <laughs> a lot more difficulties with with the croatian side actually but but yeah they won twice against uh, france and of course that's given that's that are giving the uh, both the team and the fans a lot of encouragement to towards playing them at at, at the world cup and uh, of course uh, everyone are looking to everyone are looking to Dan- the danish side as the favorites to uh, against the, both Tunisia and Australia. So um, everyone in Denmark is expecting at least a um, a second place in the group. But but these two victories against the the French team has has given sort of a little more encouragement and and positivity in Denmark towards that maybe we could even um, get the first place because. Um, up until the latest, uh, the latest victory against France, everyone are already looking towards a second place, and I think that would be likely that they are going to meet uh, Argentina in the um, in the next round and so on. But 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 that was up until the um, the uh, the game against France uh, just a couple of weeks ago, and, and everyone are looking to. Again, as I was into uh, just uh, during the last question, maybe there's even more to this team that we are uh, that 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 we have seen so far. So so um, I I don't think any fans or the Danish team, especially, are, are taking this lightly. They know that both Tunisia and Australia and every every team at the World Cup are, are great, but also everyone can see that this Danish side is in such a good form and are playing such a good game at the moment that they should be disappointed if not at least a second place is secured in 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 this group even though it's tunisia australia and france now looking at this at this team as a whole uh nicholas obviously a lot of familiar names that we've been used to seeing in the top five leagues we could start in goal with the likes of castris michael who's done who did incredibly well at leicester and now is at nice you look at the fence with the likes of simon Kerr, who's playing at milan and then Mael playing at Atalanta, Christensen obviously at Barcelona. Um, we used to be at Chelsea, did so well there. In the midfield, the likes of Thomas Delaney, Christian Eriksen, you know, the fact that he's on this team and the, what he's been able to do in the last 12 months from that collapse to playing at Brentford and now at Manchester United is is, is remarkable. And I think a lot of the, the neutral football fans are, are really hoping that he does well. But aside from that, the likes of Hoiberg at Tottenham, Braithwaite, Dolberg, Gaspar Dolberg, Nikhil Darmstadt, you know, it's a really talented side. And I think, you know, I think my question to you is really, what do you feel is the strength of this side? And and really, you know, the players that I think can be so influential for this side moving forward, who do you see them as as really the main ones that can really help this this side, you know, do well and, and, and achieve great things at this World Cup? Yeah, actually, I think the 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 overall strength is the collective and and sort of a mixture between the um, stability and the experience in in the of course at uh, at Schmeichel in the goal and also uh, the defensive area um, mixed with with the youth and 
and uh, and the potential in in the offensive uh, part of the the the, the pitch. But um, I think everyone should look to 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 Christian Eriksen what what he's been able to achieve and and his uh, importance to the team the last uh, months or the last games at national team and and we all know the story about him and what he's been through the last year it's it's, it's just it's it's pretty mind blowing at this point actually but but and and he is he is just not not only again an integral part of the team but he is the 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 heart of the team so to speak and 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 what what we need to 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 play up to our best uh, he's he's just been formed incredibly uh, since coming back um but 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 other than Eriksen, it's it's uh, it's the as you mentioned the young players uh, around him in in the offensive uh, part especially Mikkel, Mikkel Damska uh, he took the the place that were left uh, because of the the incident with with Christian Eriksen and 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 really really stood up to the occasion but actually since Eriksen had, has come back Damsgaard has been a little it has been tough to him to really find his place at the national team so so that's going to be a key key part of the team is if if Kasper Juhlmann can find the 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 perfect place for Mikkel Damsgaard and also use players like Andreas Skov Olsen and uh, Kasper Dolberg in 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 front then then and if that could click we we know how stable the the, the defensive side is uh, already then then there's this joke there's just going to be something all around on the pitch so 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 Juhlmann is is his his key points is going to to make everyone click in the offensive side and then he knows that the defense will 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 always be there so so I think that's what he's going to 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 be focusing on, but but right now this this actually a little worrying in Denmark because we had a lot of uh, injuries uh, on the defensive side and also Kasper Schmeichel hasn't been starting very well off in 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 Nice, so so that's a bit worrying. Uh, Simon Kerr and Andreas Christensen uh, is 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 uh, has just been injured and we don't know how for how long they will be out. So that's a little bit worrying because the defend the defense is such. Uh, it's it's just we we know who's going to play there and they have a lot of uh, relations together and have played well for so long together. So so if uh, if if Simon Kahn and Andreas Christensen is out, that's yeah that's worrying. Now we're going to get into the prediction side of this, but I just want to touch really quick and ask you a quick uh, kind of a curveball question. Looking at the talent that's on this side, you know, I I think for me personally, very underrated. We all know what Christian Eriksen can bring to a team. Um, you know, the the midfield is talented. We've seen Daniel Vaz, um perform well. Pierre Emil Hoiberg over at Spurs has done very very well. I'm a big fan of Thomas Delaney. Um, you know, and I, and I think that he can he he sometimes is underrated in my opinion. So. Given the success that this team has had, especially at the Euros last year, and um, and given their experience, they're still they're not a, too young of a side. They're not too old of a side. Is would you consider them a dark horse for this World Cup? Yeah, actually, a lot of people in Denmark are, are, are doing that already, uh, especially because the country were. I mean, it's it was like a folk party <laughs> last last summer. Um, and everybody got a taste for more, uh, and and I mean, 
I don't know if that that more is going to be the World Cup because there's also um, there's also a big negativity uh, in Denmark towards this World Cup because of uh, because of how uh, Qatar are treating their migrant workers and um, how they're treating human rights and so on. That's a big issue in in Denmark and in Danish football. So that's also something that that has to be in the conversation and that puts sort of uh, a little lit on the not not the expectations for this team because everyone are, are looking forward to 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 see what they're going to to have on uh, to show on the on the pitch but but there's also this other side of 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 this world cup for a lot of uh, danish people and it has been a big conversation in the media also so so that has to be said also but um when that has been said, uh, a lot of people are are still um, on this wave that the last the Euros uh, brought with it, and everyone was so disappointed when 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 Denmark lost to 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 England. But but still with this feeling that that there's something more here, mm-hmm. and of course the next big tournament is this World Cup. So maybe this 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 more whatever it is, we we we're going to have to see that. Um, maybe this can be unfolded uh, here, um, and then there's also uh, Euros uh, again uh, in 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 a couple of years, and I think there's also a lot of expectations towards that already. But 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 yeah, um, looking at the analysis in the Danish media, a lot of people are actually talking about Denmark as as maybe a dark horse. And, and you know the expectations I think are rightfully high given the the age and talent of this squad. So let's get you on the record for prediction. How do you feel Denmark will perform at this World Cup, and what would winning the World Cup mean to the players, the fans, uh, and to you personally? I think that um, I think that def- Denmark would definitely uh, go on from the group, and um, I don't know. I, I didn't expect a lot more from that when I initially saw the uh, the draw, but just looking at the team, how they're performing, and also the results they're getting, um, I, 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 I think they can go uh, a, a long way, and I, I think they are kind of a dark horse. I, I think many people in Denmark at this point would actually be disappointed if we not at least are going to, to the quarterfinals, and uh, possibly even more than that. And it would just mean... I mean, I can't, I can't fathom how much this it would mean to to a country like a small country like Denmark if if we can win the World Cup. I, I still have to say that um, it will be kind of a, a mixed uh, a mixed event in in the case of this World Cup because um, there's also been so much uh, coverage of the of the other side of of how this World Cup came to be, uh, and that that will be something that will be written in history at least in in Denmark because it's been such a big part of the coverage but still it would of course mean so much to this country we've seen and we're still referencing the uh, Euros win in, in 92 uh, I was born in 92 and it's just a big that win is, is just such a big part of not only the 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 the, the football 
history of, of, of Denmark, but, but the whole cultural heritage of uh, Denmark as a country, 92, is just such a big part of that. And I know my generation, every generation that, that, that wasn't born in that time has been looking towards their 92. What's, what, what are that going to be? <laughs> All the, uh, the older generation has that 92 win and we're celebrating it every year and when it's 20 years ago and when it's 30 years ago it's 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 still such a big part of Denmark's history um so of course and that, that as I said that was the Euros win so I, I can't even fathom what a World Cup win would mean to 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 Danish history and and we saw it at the Euros last summer I mean um I live in the second biggest uh, city in Denmark and and the streets were full of people when when we went through to the semifinals and the buses couldn't go uh, in the streets uh, or in 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 the highways and they stopped in the streets because people were all over the place and people hopped on the bus and and it, it was crazy in this country and everyone was like the younger generation was this is our 92 and when we when we when we went out to england people were still like no Maybe this wasn't even our 92. Maybe, maybe something more, as I said, can can happen to this. So, just to sum up, it it if Denmark are going to win a big tournament again, it would just mean so much to this country. No doubt about it. Nicholas, I want to thank you for joining us on the show and helping us break down Denmark as they travel to Qatar for the 2022 World Cup. All the best to you and good luck to Denmark in the tournament. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And special thanks again to Nicholas Deng for joining us on the show. Next up, we were joined by Amin El-Amri, North African football journalist, to preview Tunisia as they head to face Denmark to the, for the opening match of the 2022 World Cup. So without further ado, the Amin El-Amri interview. And joining us now in This Week in Football to preview Tunisia as they head to Group D of the 2022 World Cup in Qatar. Amin El-Amri, North African football journalist, is joining us. Amin, welcome back to the show. It is great to have you back again. Um, For those that didn't get a chance to listen or have not listened to the Morocco show yet, um, could you give uh, our listeners a rundown as to your, your ties to covering North African football? Hi, Joe. Thanks for having me. Hi, Rob. Uh, I hope guy, you guys are good. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm a journalist in Africa and uh, I'm specializing in covering, of course, Morocco, which is my country, but also football in Northern Africa, uh, uh, Algeria, Tunisia, maybe even sometimes Egypt too. So yeah, I follow I follow football. <laughs> And obviously following football in that area means getting to be a part of following the big national teams. So obviously the one that we're going to talk about is Tunisia, a side that has always traditionally been uh, at World Cups. This will be their sixth appearance at the FIFA World Cup, coming straight after the 2018 one, where they got eliminated the group stage. They go back to their second straight one. And it was done in a way that obviously they end up beating Mali on aggregate 1-0 to get to that World Cup. So how have you seen this Tunisian side over the last four years? And really, what do you feel is like the mood and the vibe towards this Tunisian side um, for this World Cup? Yeah, well, first of all, uh, uh, let's speak about the news. The news is FIFA is actually giving, uh, uh, giving Tunisia a yellow card, if, if I can say 
about uh, governmental meddling uh, in the Federation affairs. So it's a very serious threat. Uh, uh, my opinion is FIFA, I don't think FIFA is willing to, you know, to cast a, a team just before the World Cup, weeks before. But I think it's a pretty serious threat uh, regarding after the World Cup. But uh, let's go back to the sports inside. And uh, yeah, Tunisia is a very consistent national team. They've been uh, in the World Cup almost every year. I think they they uh, only missed uh, 2010 and 2014 in uh, South Africa and Brazil, respectively. And uh, yeah, since uh, 1998, they've been um, they've been from uh, part of the landscape of the World Cup. So. Tunisia is a very regular team. It's a very tactical, and um, the tactics are, are very, uh, you know, enraced in, in in the DNA of of the the the, the Tunisian football, uh, in the clubs as well as in national teams. Tunisian players have always had this step above everybody else in Africa regarding. Uh, the tactical approach and the tactical philosophy of the team. So I don't see many, many differences between this team and the one that played uh, in in Russia. But of course, there there's going to be changes uh, in the names, in the players, etc. Because there's a new generation coming up smoothly. Tunisia is never a team that changes everything and go back from scratch. But uh, I think the philosophy is going to be there. Uh, we play uh, in a very defensive mood. Uh, we can, you know, avoid uh, taking many goals, but uh, we can we can do harm wherever we can. So let's jump into Group D now, uh, where Tunisia opens the World Cup on November 22nd against Denmark, a team that they... Um, I've only faced a couple of times, most recently in 2002. And you look through the the match uh, fixtures for Tunisia here, and there's a there is a lack of familiarity. They haven't faced uh, Denmark since 2002. They haven't faced Australia since 2005 in the Confederations Cup. And the the team they would be most familiar with in France because they faced them four times. They haven't faced since 2010. How does Tunisia approach this run of matches, starting against a very very strong Denmark, uh, many consider to be a dark horse in this World Cup, um, and then getting uh, you know what some would consider the the soft spot in in uh, Australia before having to go and, and face the defending champions? Well, I think it, the first game is very important for, for every team in the World Cup, but especially for Tunisia in this group, because uh, obviously France is, is above everybody else in terms of pronostics and in terms of chances to go through. And uh, yeah, the, the second place will be between those three teams. Uh, yes, maybe sometimes we can see Australia as the, you know, less strong team, but they're a very good side. So I think for Tunisia, the, 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 all of the World Cup will be played against Denmark. It's very important that you start well against a very, very good team, which is Denmark. I think they're one of the very first teams to qualify to Qatar. And uh, yeah, they got very good individualities. 
but Tunisia, as I said, is is um, is a very mature uh, team in in terms of tactics. So uh, I don't think it's gonna be uh, a show of fantasy this game, but uh, uh, I hope Tunisia get the best from it because uh, it's very important. Then if you start well, uh, if you get points from Denmark and you play Australia, then who would play against France and maybe probably lose? Uh, you're gonna have a big, big chance to, to go through. Uh, let's just remind everybody that Tunisia never got uh, from the group stage uh, above, so it's a historical chance for them. Uh, it's um, in Africa we have a saying, uh, <laughs> we always say in Tunisia are the luckiest and the Arsenal of uh, <laughs> of Africa because they always get the <laughs> the, <laughs> the easiest draw, but. Uh, uh, now, with this configuration, with Denmark and then Australia, I think the first game is very, very important to get points from. And certainly, you know, to do that, they definitely have to look at some of the players that they have at their disposal. Obviously, it's a side that is obviously very much experienced across all around the world. When you look at some of the players, you can look at the likes of a Yosef Mkhanzi, obviously the captain, and Wababi Kazari playing at Montpellier. And, you know, so many different players that, uh, you know, Tunisia can indeed look out for. So I do want to ask you that, I mean, and ask, you know, who are those players that could indeed help this Tunisian side be successful at this World Cup and really the, the, the kind of X factor for them if they want to be successful? Yeah, uh, like I said, it's, it's a very good team starting from defense. So uh, before Msakni, before Wahabi Khazri, uh, I would go for the defenders. They got they got very good defenders like Dylan Brown who played for Salernitana, like uh, Ali Malul who plays who plays for Al Ahli, who is multi-time champions in in Africa. Uh, Drager who plays for Lucerne in uh, in Switzerland, and uh, of course uh, uh, Ayman Dahman, uh, the goalkeeper, uh, Debsi Ben Said. These are very very good players in terms of uh, moving all the blocks. So uh, in defense, uh, sometimes they play with four, sometimes they play with three in the back, but they have always have this uh, defensive duty before anything else. But in, in the same time, uh, players like uh, Ali Malur from Al Ahli, which is a left back, is one of the best left backs uh, I've seen uh, maybe in the history of African football, because he's got so much pace. He's very good with his left uh, left foot. Uh, he's very good on, from the penalty spot also. So uh, yeah, yeah, it, it, it's gonna be a very tough team to play. And then above you go to the midfield, and you've got a player like Farjani Sassi who played for Zamalek, and now he's playing for Dohele in, in Qatar. So the guy knows his football very good. Football IQ uh, can can go, you know, defensive and offensive. Uh, but he's got imagination. He's got fantasy on his head, and uh, he's very good. Uh, Raylan Shaleli is very good also in uh, in the animation uh, of the offense. Uh, and then you've got those great, great players, great two players for me, which are Yusuf Msakni, the captain, whom. Unfortunately, didn't play in, in Russia because of a, a torn ACL. Uh, and then Wahbi Khazri, uh, uh, 
Tahir Sin Khanisi, Naim Sliti, who plays for Ittifaq in Saudi Arabia, and Isam Jabali, who actually plays in Denmark in Odense. So, yes, it's a very, very, um, it's a very good team because the individualities are very different. You get like very tall guys and then very short guys, and they're all mixed up very good. Uh, let's just see with the, because they, they had uh, Mundir Kabeir in the African uh, Cup of Nations uh, back in January, but they sacked him. And now they're playing with, the, with his assistant, actually. And uh, let's see what happens, because I saw, I saw some, some uh, friendly games, especially the one against Brazil, where they started very good. And then sometimes there was a, a blackout around the 20th minutes or something like that. And then they lost it. They lost. They lost their offside line. They lost their uh, positioning on uh, set pieces. And uh, I hope they, they they learned their lessons from from Brazil from that uh, game against Brazil. So I mean, let, let's go to the predictions uh, part of the interview and talk about you know a team that, like you said, has not been out of the group stage of the World Cup. Although they have gone to, I believe you said six World Cups. Um, what? You know what? What is a successful World Cup for this Tunisian side? Given that you know the, the strikers that you had mentioned, the players that play the front line are either thirty or older, um, so you would say that they're on the on the backside of their careers. But at the same time, they're they're certainly well experienced. Um, what would be a successful uh, result for this Tunisian side in this World Cup? And what would winning the World World Cup mean for the people of Tunisia, um, especially given that they would have to go through France to do it in this group? And, uh, you know, what would it mean to the people of Tunisia? What would it mean for the team uh, as well? well it's, it's a very good question because uh, in football, sky's the limit, uh, sometimes in ambition. But I think for Tunisia to go from the group stage above, it's going to be huge, huge thing uh, because, uh, like you said, it's their 6th or 7th World Cup and they've never gone they have never gone to uh, the group stage uh, and and you can see that and you can see that, uh, that there are very passionate people in, in Tunisia about football uh, sometimes football is more important than anything else in, in Tunisia so I think going through the group stage in a group, like you said, where there's France, uh, also Denmark, Australia, those are very good uh, football countries around the world. So Tunisia going through uh, is going to be a huge, huge thing in, in Tunisia. And uh, yeah, winning, winning a World Cup, it's, it's like uh, the craziest dream uh, everybody has ever had in, in Tunisia. You can see, for example, I'll give you an example. Uh, Ons Jabber, for example, the tennis woman, uh, won a Grand Slam this year. And uh, it actually changed even the, the, the view people have on sport. So can you imagine if a sport that passionate and, and unique people like, like football uh, gets uh, a result as big as, as uh, winning a World Cup? And also, Tunisia has been... Uh, not in a crisis, but in a very tough spot economically uh, since 2011. So, yeah, winning winning a prize like this would completely change the country and completely, you know, uh, give uh, give a, a great great 
relief to this country, especially it's very, very good people, nice, nice, nicest people as as ever been to. I mean, I want to thank you for coming on the show and joining us and helping us uh, take a look at, at Tunisia as they make their journey to Qatar for the 2022 World Cup. All the best to you, my friend, and best of luck to Tunisia as they head to Qatar for the co- the competition. Thanks for having me, guys. Good luck to you. And special thanks again to Amin Alamri for joining us on the show. Next up, we were joined by Jonathan Johnson, French football journalist for CBS Sports, to talk about the defending champions, France, as they head to defend their title in the 2022 World Cup. So without further ado, the Jonathan Johnson interview. And joining us now on This Week in Football to preview the defending champions, France, as they head to Qatar for 2022 to face off opponents in Group D. Jonathan Johnson, French football correspondent for CBS Sports. Jonathan, welcome back. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Um, I want to start out with asking you about your ties to the French national team. We're familiar with um, with you covering Ligue 1, um, especially uh, your, your excellent coverage with PSG, but uh, your ties to French football in general. Hey guys, first of all, thanks a lot for having me back on. Always, uh, always great to come on as a guest. Love, uh, love chatting with you both. Um, I think the best uh, place for me to start, really, with sort of my ties with the French national team is the early 2000s. So, sort of just after the generation that won the 1998 World Cup uh, and the uh, the the Euros in 2000. Uh, you know, I came to France with my family. Uh, you know, and got to know the French national team that way. It was not particularly the best moment for them. Uh, you know, they were living on many past glories. There was a lot of dependence uh, on the likes of Zinedine Zidane, Patrick Vieira, Claude Makélélé, those kind of guys who kind of came in and out of international retirement and, you know, obviously continued, uh, you know, sort of, uh, you know, for a few years after that, but, you know, never quite reached the same heights of 98 and 2000. Um, but since 2011, when I came back to France, uh, you know, obviously to follow the PSG project, you know, it's also coincided with a real upswing, uh, you know, for the French national team as well, uh, you know, both in terms of the public feeling towards the French national team, but also in terms of them rebuilding themselves and actually becoming sort of a major uh, footballing nation again. And obviously in that time frame, you know, we've seen them go to World Cups. We've even seen them go all the way and win it in 2018. Uh, you know, but we've also seen them lose uh, in a Euro final on home soil in 2016 as well. So, you know, it covers, you know, quite a broad spectrum of emotions, uh, you know, but it's been one, uh, you know, one, you know, quite wild roller coaster. And obviously Qatar, uh, you know, is is kind of a, a French-related topic as well, given uh, their ownership of Paris Saint-Germain as well. It certainly is kind of a, a bit of a homecoming as well, given the fact that you live in the country that we're going to talk about. And, of course, uh, the ties that, of a team that you do cover as well is obviously hosting this tournament as well. But I just wanted to go back, obviously, into how we got here, how we got to this World Cup. Obviously, as defending champions, always a spotlight on them and, and really just that, that kind of pressure that is always given to France regardless of their status. But over the last four years, obviously, we see them win World Cups. We see them also play in the European Championship last year where, you know, they were one of the favorites. I think obviously a lot of people have put them as one of the favorites given the fact that they were defending champions and, of course, the team that they had out of the display. But unfortunately, they did disappoint and got out in the round of 16. So... That's all that we've been really been able to see, of course, and we had Nations League and other friendlies as well. But how have you kind of assessed the last four years from the day that they won the World Cup in Moscow to now literally less than two months until the World Cup in Qatar? How, how have you seen this team? And really, what is kind of the overall vibe and, and confidence from 
from the fan base, from the players, from the manager to the champs, um, that they could indeed repeat this title? Um, not very progressive uh, the last four years, if I'm being brutally honest with you. Uh, I don't think that, um, you know, France are in as good a position as they were in 2018 when they were crowned world champions. Uh, I think a lot has changed within the French national team setup since then. Uh, I think a lot of what made Didier Deschamps and his team so formidable uh, has kind of lost a bit of its value now. Um, I think he's gone back on certain principles, uh, you know, to, you know, cater for for, for other individuals to, to come back into the fray. Uh, obviously, Kylian Mbappe playing a much more influential role there is another consideration as well. But it just, it doesn't quite feel like the same united group of players, uh, you know, that were successful in 2018. Uh, you know, Deschamps does still try to remain, you know, very loyal to uh, to, to, to many of his trusted players. Uh, you know, but also at the same time, we know that France are one of the few nations in football, uh, you know, that really has dynastic potential in terms of the young talent that's coming through. You know, they're stacked in every position. There's no shortage, uh, you know, of very talented up and coming players who could step in at any given moment for some of the the older, more experienced heads. Uh, and, you know, I think it's perhaps an opportunity missed by Didier Deschamps that he's not been uh, more experimental with his squads. Because, I mean, in the final international break before the World Cup, uh, you know, when an injury crisis basically forced him to name, you know, quite a lot of untested players, uh, you know, that kind of reflects just how desperate the situation had to get in order for him to give, you know, opportunities to new blood. And I think that's why over the last four years, since 2018 and the World Cup success, uh, you know, we've seen, you know, this France team sort of lose a bit of its momentum, but also people start to sort of wonder what the future holds, uh, you know, after Didier Deschamps. Don't get me wrong, you know, there's not people calling for his head. Uh, you know, but there are people who feel that perhaps it's time for him to, you know, step aside, bring in somebody else, notably Zinedine Zidane, who is normally the, you know, the only candidate mentioned for the French post pretty much, uh, you know, to, to to oversee this next generation of talent. And to be honest, given the way that the Euro 2020 performance went uh, and, you know, the, you know, the, the most recent UEFA Nations League, there is this growing feeling now that Didier Deschamps, plus obviously the tensions with the French uh, Football Federation as well, that he is perhaps, you know, reaching sort of the final few months uh, of his tenure as a national team coach, uh, and that perhaps there will be a new dawn uh, for Les Bleus uh, after the World Cup in Qatar, regardless uh, of how the team performs. Now, Jonathan, I want to jump into looking at the group ahead of them here in Group D. Uh, and, and when the draw came out, this this group um, certainly looked like a manageable group. It was uh, an interesting group. It, it was not a murderer's row, though. But then as you dig a little deeper into this group, you find that uh, between Australia, Denmark, and Tunisia, uh, there's familiarity for France uh, going into this. In fact, two of these teams, in terms of Australia and Denmark, they actually faced in the previous World Cup, which they were crowned champions. You couple that with the knowledge that uh, when they faced Denmark in um, – in Doha on the 26th of November. It'll be the third time that they play Denmark. And this is a team that has also beaten this French national team in France for the Nations League. It's a, it's a very, very interesting dynamic, I think, or twist that's added to this group. How do you feel this group sets up for uh, for France moving in, especially starting off against Australia on the 22nd? 
Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a really good point. Uh, you know, and I think there's many ways to look at it. Obviously, positives, uh, you know, with a bit of familiarity, you know what you're going up against, uh, you know, but also negatives, um, you know, you know that Denmark are always going to be very difficult opponents in particular, uh, you know, and also, uh, you know, you can't necessarily, for, for somebody like Australia, base your expectations coming up against them on what you saw four years ago, because, Unfortunately for Australia, I feel that, you know, their current generation of, of talent is, is even weaker than it was in 2018. And in 2018, it wasn't exactly vintage, uh, you know, but also at the same time, you know, I think that there is perhaps an advantage for France in that the last time that they faced Denmark, uh, you know, before this World Cup, it, the squad will be totally different to the one that we see going to Qatar, given how many uh, injuries and unavailabilities there were. So, you know, I do think that perhaps France might have, you know, lured uh, the Danes into a false sense of security, which you know will be quite uh, an important thing to do, given that, in my opinion, Denmark will be the the most serious opponent, uh, you know, to rival France for finishing top in the group. Uh, you know, and I think you know deciding top spot may even well play out, uh, you know, based on who can you know emerge victorious in uh, in that match. So, I you know I don't think that Tunisia should be written off. There's certainly a particularly uh, important element to consider, and that's the fact that there is a very large Tunisian contingent that lives in France. So, you know, that is almost kind of like a rivalry match. That means there is something riding on that game uh, as well. So, you know, on paper, of course, you know, France look the heavy favourites to emerge from this group. But given the way that they've been quite slow, uh, you know, in, in some of their recent tournaments, the Nations League, uh, you know, the, the Euros, uh, you know, Pretty much every tournament they've played, bar the Nations League that they won after 2018, you know, they've looked kind of sluggish and, you know, they can't afford, uh, you know, for, to make a slow start in, in Qatar, in my opinion, especially when you're up against somebody, you know, of the quality of Denmark who have really come on leaps and bounds since the last World Cup that they faced each other in in 2018. Now, certainly, obviously, this French side, as you, as you look you know, the players are, it's kind of a who's who. I think all eyes are really on the player in Kylian Mbappe, who really is kind of the standout star alongside the likes of it. Antoine Griezmann, uh, Rafael Aran, uh, Karim Benzema, obviously, for what he's done at Real Madrid. And I think all eyes will definitely be on this side and, and really who makes the squad. So I think I wanted to go more onto that, really, because obviously they are going to extend the number of players on the squad from 23 to 26. At least that's what that people are saying. So... You know, if this is really going to be a squad that is full of depth, I mean, who do you feel is is really the vital players that, you know, could unfortunately miss out? And, and, and of course, you know, this is obviously a French side that has evolved from the last four years. I mean, we see the likes of a Chouami, a Kamavinga, and many other players coming up that we didn't really see four years ago. So who are really those kind of important players that could indeed be on the spotlight and could indeed be vital for France if they do want to do well in this World Cup? I mean, I think, you know, in the in, in the current crop of players, you can't really look much further than Kylian Mbappe for, you know, the right or wrong reasons. Uh, you know, he is uh, the main man in this France team in the same way that he is the top dog uh, at Paris Saint-Germain these days. So, you know, obviously he will be hugely important. You know, the guys with a lot of experience still have a very big role to play. Uh, you know, guys like Antoine Griezmann, like guys like uh, Olivier Giroud. You know, who have not ne have not necessarily always been in top form in the last couple of years since the 2018 World Cup, but still have plenty to offer the national team. Uh, you know, when they're in form, uh, you know, Varane as well. You know, 
for you know to have the sort of experience that he has and still not yet have turned 30 uh, you know that that is something that you cannot uh, you know ignore but I, I think still uh, you know a lot of uh, you know France's hopes will rest with the players that Deschamps places the most trust in so obviously Hugo Lloris who uh, you know was not uh, part of the the, the the French team in the, the final round of internationals before the World Cup. Uh, you know, he will be hugely important when he returns, obviously, as captain. Uh, and then you've got guys like Benzema, who, you know, given his ability, uh, you know, commands uh, an important role in the squad. Uh, then you've got the likes of N'Golo Conte, who unfortunately really has suffered in terms of form and fitness uh, since the last World Cup. And Paul Pogba, I mean, Pogba, I think, is probably the most topical um, French player at this moment in time, given everything that's surrounding him off the pitch. But let's also not forget he's undergone surgery as well. So there's no guarantee he'll even have played, uh, you know, a match at club level by the time the World Cup rolls around. It depends on how he recovers from this injury. Uh, and obviously with this controversy, this attempted blackmail against him that is, you know, sort of blowing around in the press at the moment, it's, you know, it's quite a tumultuous time and there's a lot of stuff going on off of the pitch, which Dishon is trying to, to shield his players from, you know, sexual harassment allegations that have been levelled against the French Football Federation. Uh, and you've got the, you know, Kylian Mbappe and his teammates battle uh, you know, to, to be in charge of their own image rights as well. So, you know, there is a lot on Deschamps' plate at this moment in time, uh, you know, and I think he will feel more confident heading to Qatar, knowing that he can call on as many of his trusted lieutenants as possible. And I think Pogba is arguably the one who's most at risk at this moment in time, given his, uh, you know, his health status, but also, uh, you know, everything that's sort of surrounding him off the pitch. Now, Jonathan, we're we're at the final part of the of the interview where we talk about predictions, and you know we're going to do this for twenty for thirty two teams, but this one I think for me is the most highly anticipated one. Uh, in twenty eighteen, I said that France were certainly one of the favorites to win the World Cup, but I felt personally that they were four years away. I felt that this twenty twenty two World Cup was really going to be the one where they uh, were going to shine brightly, um, and I was at the moment I'm four years off, but France now embark on a uh, on a task that has only been accomplished twice, uh, once by Italy in the 30s and once by Brazil uh, in the late 50s and early 60s, and that's to become the repeat champions, uh, something that's only, like I said, only been done twice. You couple that with the uh, what we now call the uh, the winner's curse, where I believe the last three World Cup champions have uh, have been eliminated from the World Cup in the group stages. So there's a lot of, of, of history here, a history to be written uh, history to to look at from behind, and uh, and and my curiosity is is what do you predict, especially given like you said the Paul Pogba situation and Golo Kante, but this is also a team that has Eduardo Camavinga, Chouameni. They they've got so many young stars coming up. What are your thoughts on this team and your prediction for them in this uh, particular tournament? I think that France will get out of the group stage, but I don't think that they will go all the way and win. Uh, I think they will drop out some point in the knockout phase. I don't think that the chemistry in the squad is as strong as it was in 2018. I mean, I think on paper, when you look at it, talent-wise, you could perhaps even argue that you know they're, they're, this France team is stronger than the one that was successful in 2018. But as we have seen under Deschamps in the past, you know that team spirit, that unity is so so important, and it's it's not felt 
like the same, uh, you know, you know, the same sort of, uh, you know, wave of positivity surrounding the French national team that it was sort of uh, leading up to 2018 and just in the immediate aftermath. It hasn't felt like that for the best part of probably the last two years. So I'm not saying that I'm I'm too pessimistic on their chances, but I do feel that, uh, you know, they won't succumb to the winner's curse, but I don't think that they will. Uh, you know, defend their title. I think that they will drop out at some point in the knockout phase. It wouldn't surprise me to see them get to a quarterfinal, maybe even a semi-final. I just don't think that this French side will go all the way unless they can leave their baggage at the door, uh, you know, and, and come together for the for the greater good. And I felt more confident about that back in 2018 than I do today. So, you know, closing out with one more question what would a 2022 world cup victory mean for the people of France, for the French national team? But one more twist that I want to add to that question is what will it mean for Didier Deschamps future with the French national team? I think that actually winning the world cup would probably be the best thing for him in terms of wanting to go out on a high. Uh, Like I said, I'm not convinced that he will be in charge for another international tournament after this one. I think that it is, it's his final uh, opportunity to, 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 to lead France to glory. Uh, And whatever happens, I think that Zinedine Zidane will soon find himself as the new coach of the French national team. So it's an opportunity for him to sign off on a high. Uh, but I think that it would rank as quite an unexpected success uh, in terms of the French public, because I think they sense as well that this is not quite the same, um, you know, bond between the players, uh, you know, that we saw back in 2018 and sort of in the years leading up to that. Um, you know, I'm not saying that they've fallen out of love with the French national team as they had sort of 10 years ago or so, but you know, it's just doesn't quite feel the same. And it's almost like they're now in between generations uh, and they need, uh, you know, new blood and not just new blood on the pitch, uh, you know, but also I think on the touchline as well. Jonathan, I want to thank you for coming on and joining us uh, to talk about the the French national team as they make their way to Qatar to, uh, to defend their title for the 2022 World Cup. All the best to you and good luck to France uh, in the tournament. Guys, thanks so much for having me on, Joe, Roberto. It's always a pleasure. And uh, yeah, look forward to catching up with you both uh, sometime around the World Cup. And special thanks again to Jonathan Johnson for joining us on the show. Last but not least, we were joined by Dan Colasimone from ABC Australia to preview Australia as they head to face France for the opening match of the 2022 World Cup. So without further ado, the Dan Colasimone interview. And joining us now to break down Australia as they head to Qatar to challenge Group D in the 2022 World Cup, Dan Colasimone from ABC News in Australia. Dan, welcome to the show. I want to start out by asking you your ties of covering Australian soccer. Well, I I was born in Australia. I grew up here uh, of Italian origin. My father's Italian, so I kind of grew up supporting Italy in the World Cup before uh, Australia qualified. (laughs) Uh, so I had a few World Cups before Australia even made it there, but we finally uh, joined in 2006. So I had two teams to support, um, and then you know I, be- I ended up becoming a, a sports journalist, uh, and uh, I lived in Argentina, covered football over there. Now I've got three teams to support, um, but yeah, you know Australia is my home home nation. I've covered uh, a fair bit of uh, the local league here as well as the national team and um, the Matildas as well. And certainly, you know, it's funny that you mentioned the 2006 one because that was the first one that they went to after, what, 32 years or something like that. And that was certainly a homecoming for you. Italy against Australia. 
Australia's first World Cup in 32 years, and Italy winning that World Cup. But we're not talking about Italy in this case, to Joe's um, chagrin. We are talking about Australia. They are back at the World Cup for the fifth straight time, the fifth straight time since Germany 06, uh, qualifying to Australia uh, to Qatar in really what's been kind of a a a different format for them to what they've been accustomed to. Obviously, we've known Australia, you know, maybe those that are a bit more traditional, known for them in their time in Oceania playing in the playoff in the OFC <coughs> in the OFC but then having to move to the AFC where you know obviously they got a bit more competitive for them and they were able to qualify from there but they had to undergo a playoff and a, and a really interesting playoff against Peru that ended in a, a nil-nil draw played in Qatar as well and it ended up winning giving the Socceroos the win uh, thanks to obviously the the likes that I think obviously had made them famous really in the in the um Oh God, I'm butchering his name. Andrew Redmayne, his uh, his uh, performances in trying to to fool the Peruvian players. So Dan, I just wanted to go into that really about how you have seen this Australia side from their group stage elimination, and, and it really was a tough group for them in, in 2018 in Russia to now qualifying for their fifth straight World Cup, and, and just kind of the mood that's really getting into them uh, before they kick off in about a month's time. Yeah, well. Um... It was a it was a different campaign because yeah as you said uh, so it was after that 2006 World Cup that we moved to the Asian Confederation and the idea behind that was to get more competitive games uh, in the build up to World Cup so instead of just like playing almost you know playing um, some of the islands in the Pacific and then having that really tough two legged playoff against the likes of Uruguay or Iran um, the idea was to move to Asia um, have you know competitive uh, group stages but hopefully make it through and it has been um, reasonably simple you know so we've five in a row now that we've qualified for um they've, they've done a pretty good job of it uh, until this world cup uh qualification protest where yeah they, they really sort of struggled at the tail end of qualifying um they had saudi arabia and japan in the group and didn't perform too well against them so i ended up finishing third and going into that uh playoff against peru which i was sure they were going to lose um peru being a you know well-organized side beat us comfortably at the last world cup um, but yeah, I think on that day, Peru uh, perhaps had a, a case of the nerves. Um, and of course, yeah, Andrew Redmayne, Redmayne the, the great wiggle, as he's been nicknamed, uh, making the save to, to send us through. Um, and in a way, Australia is a bit like the US where football, soccer is, is perhaps not the number one sport. Uh, it is in terms of participation, but not necessarily you know, TV audience. So if we just sort of coasted through the group stage and made it to another World Cup, it would have been a bit ho-hum. The fact that there was that insane game in Qatar to qualify really drew everyone's attention back to the Socceroos. So I think that's a good sort of, you know, in the end, it, it turned out well. The fact that we've qualified with that exciting, uh, you know, penalty shootout, uh, Andrew Redmayne acting like a goose. Um, and we're back at the World Cup. So, yeah, um, a little bit of momentum behind the side now, perhaps. Yeah, I would say Redmayne certainly focused a few more eyeballs on Australia as they head their way to uh, to Group D. And let's take a look at Group D now because obviously they're in with the defending champions in France. Uh, certainly a, a team that many uh, have grown to love in Denmark, especially after what happened with Christian Eriksen and uh, an, an African Giants Tunisia. Uh, just to make matters worse, France are going to open with Australia in this World Cup on the 22nd of November. How does this group lay out for you, Dan? What do you think um, are the challenges, and, and how does Australia find a way through this group? Well, it's actually quite incredible because I don't know if you remember the group last time, but the group last time was France, Australia, Denmark, and Peru. 
Peru, who we just played in the, in the playoffs. So this time it's almost identical with Tunisia instead of Peru. Um, and I would say, if anything, uh, you know, it's going to be even tougher for Australia. Uh, Denmark looks like a stronger side than four years ago. Um, so I, I guess, in a way, I think the order might help us. Uh, we're playing France first. You know, you, you're kind of hoping for some... Uh, a little bit of disorganization or jitters from the from the world champions in that first game, if you're lucky. Um, so hopefully, you know, not too much damage done in that first game. Tunisia will be the game, I guess, to target to try and win three points. Um, and then uh, the final game against Denmark might be one, you know, say we beat Tunisia, which I'm not saying is, you know, even likely, but it's, it's, it's our best hope. Then we go into that final game having to perhaps hold on for a draw or something against Denmark. So the order kind of helps us a bit. Um, but yeah, as I say, I, I think we're outsiders to make it through in that group. Now, looking at this side as a whole, I mean, obviously the long, long gone are the days of your Miles Jedniak and Tim Cahill and, and all those type of players that were part of that kind of big generation of Australian players that went to World Cups. But you look at the side that Graham Arnold has in front of him, obviously you mentioned Redmayne as that kind of standout and flashy goalkeeper, but you know, it's still a talented side with the likes of... Matthew Leckie as the captain, uh, Michelle Duke, Mitchell Duke is playing in, in Japan. Obviously, we see some players playing in Europe, such as Tom Roddick and, and many others. So, Dan, I just wanted to ask you, you know, what are these kind of strong sets that this Australian side can impose to, to their opponents at the World Cup? And really, for anyone, really, you know, what kind of the standout players you think, you know, I wouldn't say are maybe maybe under the radar in this case, but, you know, some players that, you know, in your opinion, could indeed make an impact at this World Cup. And, hell, if, if it goes well for them, they can make a big jump to a to a bigger team in, in Europe. Yeah, sure. Um, so traditionally, like in the last 20 years or so, I'd say Australia's always had this reputation of being this big, physical, um, direct side. Um, and I don't think that was necessarily true for a long period of time under like Ange Postacoglu, under Gus Hiddinkin in 2006. So we always liked it when opposition coaches would, you know, they'd say, oh, you know, we, we're ready for a big physical battle. Um, these guys are very direct, whatever. And then, you know, it turns out the Socceroos were actually playing some fairly nice football uh, on the ground. Um, in this case, though, under Graham Arnold, I think we've gone a bit, you know, gone a bit retro. Uh, Arnold himself was a, a big sort of target man striker. Um, he plays that kind of a bit more basic football. Um, and I think that part of that uh, has, has been about being in Asia where often against, you know, you're from the bigger side when they're scoring lots of points, uh, lots of goals from free kicks and, and set pieces. Um, and then it doesn't work so well against skillful teams like Japan. And then it doesn't work so well when you play like teams that are both skillful and physical like France or Denmark. That being said, um, yeah, you mentioned Mitchell Duke. He's kind of the the, the embodiment of the Graham Arnold style, a big center forward. Um, I think our best player at the moment is uh, Rustic, uh, who plays for Frankfurt. Uh, he's kind of our, our play playmaker in midfield. The midfield looks fairly decent. We've got um, uh, Jackson Irvine, who's kind of the box-to-box. -box. He's the heart of the team. Um, you've got Aaron Moy, who's the, sort of the deeper, you know, neat passer of the football, and then Rustic, uh, who is our playmaker. He'll be the guy taking the free kicks, uh, a lot of them, if it's not Aaron Moy. And yeah, he's probably the guy who's going to produce that little bit of magic in a game. Um, one other guy I want you to keep an eye on, and I'm, you know, most Australian football fans are really hoping that he gets selected, is um, Garan Kual, who's just signed for Newcastle United um, out of the Central Coast Mariners. So he's our young star player that everyone's really excited to see. He played a couple of times in our recent 
uh, games against New Zealand. He's just like the moment he comes on, it's just excitement, it's electricity. Uh, he creates chances. Uh, he runs the players. It's it's just thrilling to watch him. So we're everyone's hoping that uh, Graham Arnold selects him in the squad, and he's our he's our guy when you know there's 15 minutes to go and we need a goal, we we bring on. So I'm hoping he has a pretty big World Cup. So Dan, we've come to the uh, prediction part of the uh, of of the interview now, and. I'd like to get your thoughts on how Australia do make their way through this group. Where do you think they'll finish in in a victory, a World Cup victory, ultimately, or or at least a massively deep run in this tournament? What would that do to advance soccer in uh, Australia at this point in time? Yeah, as I mentioned, you know, like uh, soccer isn't always the star sport in Australia, but, you know, people really do tune in when the World Cup is on. So it's the, it's the time to shine. Um, I we haven't made it out of the group stage since 2006. So I think that is going to be the goal, like just making winning a game in the group stage. We also haven't done for a long time. I think since 2010. Um, so I think, you know, just even winning a game would be huge for Australia. And that would hopefully go a long way to getting us out of the group um, and getting to that knockout stage. That'd be, that'd be our sort of, that'd be a win for us. I think from this tournament um, in terms of navigating this group. Yeah. You just hope that France have, have one of their, uh, traditional meltdowns where they all start fighting with each other and, and aren't particularly ready for that first game. Um, Tunisia is probably the game we'll target, um, as I mentioned earlier. Um, and hopefully, you know, we're, we're, not, we're not too overwrought by Denmark and can sort of hang on for a draw in that last game or, or you know, really close up shop. And, um, you know, I think we'd be aiming for those four points, um, three from Tunisia, one from Denmark, to be able to get through the group. Do you feel that, uh, you know, I want to ask you one more question. Do you feel that this Australian side might be a little bit of, of an unknown? Even though they faced two of these teams in 2018, this might be a little bit of an unknown coming into this World Cup? A little bit. And a lot of that has to do with the players. Um, you know, back in 2006, we had a lot of guys in the Premier League, uh, Serie A, uh, you know, Dutch League, things like that. And now a lot of these guys are, you know, Mitchell Dukes in the second division in Japan. Um, a lot of these guys will be unknowns um, and you just sort of hope that, you know, there's, there's this enough sort of group spirit and uh, you know, solidarity as a team that, you know, you, you might be able to pull a few surprises because certainly the other teams uh, won't know us that well. No doubt about it. Dan, I want to thank you for coming on the show and helping us break down Australia as they make their way to Qatar to challenge Group D in the 2022 World Cup. All the best to you and good luck to Australia in the tournament. No worries at all. Thanks, guys. And special thanks again to Dan Colasimone for joining us on the show. Roberto, it is prediction time for us, and I would like to go first in this one. We have, uh, you know, two, like we said at the beginning, two kind of powerhouse teams in France and Denmark, and two, I, I hate to call them lesser teams, but not quite as talented in Australia and Tunisia. So going from fourth to first in terms of coming out of this group, I think uh, I think Australia is going to finish fourth. I, I think ultimately their their talent pool is not what we saw back in let's say 2006 when they made that great run uh, to be knocked off by Italy on Italy's way to the winning the World Cup. And and I think that there's just the talent is not quite there as it was a few years ago. Uh, having to play their way in as well, I, I think that Australia will be happy to be in Qatar for this World Cup, but I think they're going to end up finishing fourth here. Tunisia is going to finish third in my opinion in this group. I think. With uh, with the defensive organization that they that they're going to bring, um, you know, according to what we heard from Amin, that I think ultimately they'll be they'll be good enough to kind of lock things down. I, I think they'll probably get a win against Australia, 
if not draw and, uh, and, and at least limit the damage against Denmark and France so that they will finish third here, but I don't think they will advance to the knockout stage. Second place, I'm going to actually put the, cha- the defending champions as second in France. I think that right now France is having a great deal of difficulty with injuries. I think they have a great deal of difficulty with Denmark. And I think both of those things will come back to haunt them, but they will advance out of this group uh, and, and at least go to defend their title, which is going to leave uh, a possible uh, round of 16 match against Argentina, which is going to be crazy. But I'm going to go with France third, and I'm going to take Denmark to win this group. I think... Uh, you know, the, the, as we've talked about them as a dark horse, extremely talented. They can definitely beat France. They're not afraid of a giant like them right now. And I think that uh, Denmark ultimately will, will top this group and head to the, uh, to the round of 16 to possibly face either Mexico or Poland uh, in the next round with, with a, a, certainly a quality team and a, and a good side. What do you think of this group and how it lays out? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, we have some similarity on that one. I do agree. I think with the, in terms of fourth and third, I think I do agree with Australia. I just don't think that they have the, the quality enough to indeed contend with the rest. And I think with Tunisia, as good as they are with their talent, I don't think they're also able to, to stack it up against the rest of the, the teams in that group, which leaves, you know, it, it's interesting because um, as much as I want to say, oh, the champion's curse is real and, you know, I think they might indeed fall off and France would not advance to the group stage, I still think, even regardless of everything that's going on, it wouldn't surprise me. Like I said, it would not surprise me if France do not qualify out of this group. It would not surprise me. In my estimation, I still think they do. And I'm going to have to agree with you. I think France will finish second, and that big game against Argentina in the round 16, if it does happen, will definitely be one of the World Games of the World Cup like we saw four years ago. I just think that this Denmark side is just a bit more fearless. It definitely has more talent in terms of as a collective unit um and you saw that in the games that they've beaten and in the way that they've been performing over the last few years i think they're able to get that and you know that second game between france and and mark might indeed decide the group as a whole so i think you know in in terms of a surprise you would say which again would not be a surprise it wouldn't be a surprise if france win this group wouldn't be surprised if they finish second and it definitely probably wouldn't be a surprise if they get eliminated uh, in the group stages. But for me, I say Denmark will win this group. France second, Tunisian third, and Australia in fourth. Fantastic stuff. And I couldn't agree more. Again, special thanks to Nicholas Dang, Amin Alamri, Jonathan Johnson, and Dan Colasimone for joining us on the show. For my co-host, Roberto Rojas, I'm Joe Ucello. Thanks for listening, and good night.